Good evening, listening audience. Welcome to 2023 and my first of this year edition of Michael's Saturday Surprise. I am Daniel V. Hill, and tonight we're going to listen to an episode of the CBS Radio Mystery Theater, something which would not have been possible while it was being broadcast. It was strictly a Monday through Friday operation. However, because someone took the time and trouble to record it, we are able to return to January the 14th, 1977, and listen to a departmental case. CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... G. Marshall. There are, the philosopher said, a thousand who hack at the branches of evil to one who strikes at the root. The roots and the branches of evil. They form a species of vegetation that can flourish everywhere, in all kinds of climate, in all types of terrain. Unlike most growing things, they don't need very much. I... I want to thank you, sir. Thank me for what? For saving my life. For... For killing your husband? It's... I'm sorry you had to. I... I didn't kill him. But the newspaper said that you and I he... I didn't kill him. You didn't? Well, who did? You, ma'am. You're the one that killed him. <laughs> mystery drama, A Departmental Case, was adapted from the O. Henry Classic, especially for the Mystery Theater by Sam Dan, and stars Robert Dryden and Joe Silver. It is sponsored in part by Buick Motor Division and True Value Hardware Stores. I'll be back shortly with Act One. begins a story, carries it to a crisis, drives it to a climax, then moves it to an ending. He introduces a set of characters who are in one condition of life when we meet them and in another when we leave them. We spend time with these people, but do we really get to know them? Before you answer the question, there are times when the author himself doesn't even know them. Yes, they are his creations, but they are beings in their own right, and they have secrets even from him. William Sidney Porter, or O. Henry, who created thousands of characters, even he could look back at many of them and say, Hey, wait a minute. I was sitting in my workroom. I refused to call it the den one morning when there was a knock on the door and my housekeeper entered. Sir... What would you like to have for your lunch? 
Oh, I meant to tell you, Mrs. Powledge, I'm not having lunch at home today. No supper either. Well, I wish you'd have let me know. As a matter of fact, I shall be gone for a couple of weeks. Gone? Where? To Austin, Texas. Well, now, why would any person in their right mind wish to go to Austin, Texas? Mrs. Powledge, I just read this article in this morning's paper. Just a little paragraph from the wire service. Listen. Benton Sharp meets his match. Notorious desperado shot to death in Gold Front Saloon by Luke Standifer in a magnificent exhibition of quick draw and shoot. So? Evidently, they didn't print the rest of it here in the New York papers. I don't understand. One hoodlum shoots another in a Texas saloon? What's all the fuss? Fuss? I know Luke Standifer. He must be every bit of 65. He could even be 70. What was he doing in a saloon? A man that age? <laughs> Probably ogling the dance hall girls. Can you imagine a man close to 70 in a showdown shootout? Well, I have to ask him how it happened. And that's why you're going to Austin, Texas? I got on the train, and for four and a half days, I rattled around the rail systems of the southern and western parts of the United States about which the less said the better. And found myself finally in Austin, Texas. I knew Luke Standifer had a job working for the state. Now that sign on the door, Luke, is that to be believed? <laughs> yes, sir. Standifer, Commissioner of Insurance, Statistics, and History. <laughs> Rewarded at last for a lifetime of clean living and faithful service to the Democratic Party. Yeah, well, what are your duties, Luke? Well, statistics is keeping tabs on all the cotton, corn, pigs, peanuts. Even the history of some old lady claims she secured old Sam Houston's pocket handkerchief, and I give her papers to fill out to request the legislative branch to buy it. But the work is mostly insurance. Insurance? Mm-hmm. Riding herd on the foreign insurance companies that do business down here. Foreign insurance companies? Uh, mostly from the state of Connecticut. Got to wrap them across the knuckles now and then. But, Billy, what brings you down here from the wicked city of New York? You bring me here, Luke. I clipped this item from the paper. Oh. I see you still have that lightning draw. Yeah. I reckon I have. I know you swore you'd never wear a forty-four again, Luke. Never take another human life. That's right. So what made you do it? You want to talk about it? Well, it had to be done, I guess. There's, there's no other way. Benton Sharp, he's a murderer, a bully. One of the worst so-called human beings who roam the earth. Well, that's true, I guess. Well, how did it happen? How did it happen? Well, I was sitting here at my desk. I was aware of someone had come into the office. She was a faded woman, obviously a member of the numerous sisterhood of the unhappy. Dressed in black, all in black. Age, well, her face had the shape of 20. And the lines of 40. I'd say she grew old very fast. I looked at her and I almost wanted to cry. Are, are you the governor, sir? No, ma'am, I'm not the governor. I have the honor to be the commissioner of history, statistics, and insurance. Is there anything I can do for you? Well, I don't know. 
I had run away from my husband. Oh, well... I had to. I I had to. He would have killed me. Killed you? I, I shouldn't be saying this, but I'm just so frightened. I I can't help myself. He, he's become a brute. He's a, a bully, a coward. He, he doesn't support me. I have a job and he whips me if I don't give him every cent I make and then he gets drunk and beats me anyway. Well, he can't get away with that. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll direct you to the state's attorney and you can swear out a complaint against no. him. No. No, that, that would only make it worse. I've tried that. I'll tell you what I was thinking. I thought the state might be willing to... Oh, I'm so ashamed to say this. Oh, no, you, you just go right ahead, my dear. I was thinking the state might... Give me some relief. Well, I don't rightly know. I heard of such things. You have? Yes. The state will give money to help the families of the old settlers. And if I could get some, I could leave my husband and, and, and go somewhere. Well, it seems to me I did hear we had such a statute. That was for the men who fought for independence. My father did that. He was one of the first pioneers. He was entitled to a reward, but he wouldn't take it. And I need it. Oh. Well, uh, what's your father's name? Amos Colvin, sir. Amos Colvin? Did you say Colvin? Yes, sir. You're Amos Colvin's daughter? Yes, sir. Well, ma'am, Amos and me were thicker than two horse thieves for almost ten years. Why, you're Amos Colvin's daughter. Oh, we fought coyotes, drove cattle, rangered side by side all over the state of Texas. I remember seeing you once before, that same blonde hair. You were riding a, a little yellow pony. His name was Sam. Yeah, uh, uh, we stopped off at your home for a bit of grub while we was trailing them, them Mexican cattle thieves through carns and beef. Oh, great tarantulas. You're Amos Culver's little daughter. Well, did you ever. Did, did you ever hear your daddy mention... Luke Standifer. Maybe once or twice. Well, I don't remember hearing him talk about much else. Every day, another story about what you and he had done. Well, now, who, who was the infernal rat that... I beg your pardon, ma'am. I mean, the gentleman you married. Banton Sharp. Banton Sharp? Oh, no. No. Not Banton Sharp. The little toe-headed girl on the pony daughter of my best friend has grown up and married the worst killer in the Southwest. But I didn't know it. He was so gentle and loving at first. Oh, ma'am, you may be his wife, but you don't know the worst of it. He goads men into drawing on him for the sheer pleasure of killing him. I know everything about him. But he wasn't that way at first. I mean, he was so handsome and so wonderful, I just fell in love with him. He was so good to me for a whole year. He even insured his life for $5,000 in case anything happened to him. No woman could ask for a nicer, sweeter husband. And then one day he just turned. He became a beast. He'd done everything but, but kill me. Now, you, you just rest easy. The state of Texas shall not forget what it owes Amos Calder's daughter. You leave everything to me. Can you help me? Can you really help me? Because if you can't, this is my last hope. Ma'am, I'm going to step into the next office. When I come back, I'm going to have a check made out to Amos Colvin's daughter. Jim, I want to see you. Why do you want to see me, Luke? Because you just happen to be the treasurer of the state of Texas. And 
And I want some money. Well, for what purpose? Now, how much you got on hand? Well, last time I looked, it was a million dollars. I don't need that much. How much do you need? You... You heard of Amos Colvin? Yeah, yeah, knew him well. One of the first settlers in the Southwest. Mm, well, his daughter is sitting in my office. She's penniless. She's married to Benton Sharp, a coyote and a murderer. Oh, I know who Benton Sharp is. He reduced her to want and broke her heart. How could she marry Benton Sharp? Well, that is neither here nor there. Her father built this state, and it's a state's turn to help his child. A couple of thousand to make her a new life for herself. Now, you just hand it over, Jim, and we'll fix up the red tape business afterwards. Uh, now, Luke... Now, uh, Luke what? And uh, how can I give you $2,000? Well, right out a chance. Well, you know I can't pay out a cent from the Treasury without a warrant from the Comptroller. Now, I can't disperse a dollar without a voucher to show for it. Well, I'll give you a voucher. What am I, just a knot on a mesquite stub, or do I have a legitimate department here? Can't my office stand for it? Charge it up to the insurance. Well, I'd like to help, Luke, but... Uh, but, but nothing. Don't history show the Lone Star State never failed to grant relief to the suffering women and children of those men who made her the greatest commonwealth in the Union? Luke, I have to explain. Don't explain. Just write a check. Every penny spent by the state of Texas has to be approved by the legislature. Now, the only way for the lady to obtain relief is to petition the proper legislative committee. What you are saying, Jim, is no. What I am saying is I don't have the right to say yes. Well, I see now what a little ragtag, bobtail, gotcha department I've been put in charge of. It's about as important as, a, as an almanac or a hotel register. But I'll tell you this. While I'm running it, it won't turn away any daughter of him was calling. Somehow, history, statistics, and insurance... Is going to find the loophole. Were you able to find out anything, Mr. Standifer? Well, uh, uh, just at present, the powers of my department seem to be uh, somewhat uh, spring-halted. Oh. The statistics seem to be overdrawn at the bank, and history isn't good for a square meal. But, but insurance, uh, we may have a loophole there. Now... Have you enough money to hold you for the next two, two, three days? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I couldn't take charity. Oh, now, you, you just go back to where you're stopping. You come here again day after tomorrow at four o'clock, understand? Day after tomorrow at four o'clock. Uh -huh. And very likely by that time, we'll have something definite to report. Oh, thank you, Mr. Standish. Oh, oh, by the way, you said your husband insured his life for $5,000. Yes, sir. Well, would you know if he kept up the premiums? Yes, he paid up for a year about six months ago. Mr. Sandifer, I don't have very much hope of getting anything from the state, but just talking to you has made me feel so much better. All right, all right. Now, now you just be here day after tomorrow at 4 o'clock sharp. Luke? Oh, howdy, Jim. I come out here as soon as I got your message. I appreciate it. Uh, Luke? Look, you're wearing that special shoulder holster. You, you got forty-four revolver in it. Well, that's what a holster's for, to carry a gun, ain't it? I, I, is that the short-barrel forty-four? Sure is. The short barrel comes out of holster faster on the draw. Draw? But what are you talking about? Oh, nothing. And I don't, don't you say that to me, Luke. Now, what you want me to come out here for, huh? To watch me. To watch you what? 
<clears throat> See that uh, that bottle sitting on that rock? Uh-huh. Well, I want you to watch me draw and shoot. Like this. Luke, what was that for? Jim, am I as fast as ever? What's the part? Just answer me, Jim. Never mind anything else. Am I as fast as ever? Well, you look as fast. Well, are you sure, Jim? Are you sure? I think so. Well, well, I guess I'll have to try the real way to find out. What do you mean, the real way to find out, Luke? The real way to find out what? The real way to find out about anything is when you do it for real. And the real way to find out if you can draw and shoot at 65 the way you could when you were 25 or 35 is to draw and shoot at someone while that someone is drawing and shooting at you. We're going to find out how all the drawing and shooting ends up in just a few minutes in Act Two. body belong to the young. Sharpness of eye, quickness of hand, steadiness of nerve, all of these diminish with the passing of time. And yet, what have we here? An old gunfighter buckling on the holster with a short-barreled revolver. And there seems to be no doubt about his intentions. Well, it's not a matter here of an old dog learning new tricks. It's a case of can he still perform the old ones? I'll tell you what's happening today. Women rule the world. I hear tell there's even places where they can vote. Well, the day that happens here in the state of Texas, I say give it back to the Indians. <laughs> hey, what's wrong with you? Can't you see where you're going? I'm, I'm sorry, sir. Oh, you're sorry. I apologize. Oh, yeah, you apologize. Further than that, I cannot go. Oh, further than that, you cannot go. I bumped into you. It was a mistake. Oh, look at him. He's an old cowhand, ain't he? Mr. Texas. A big old stats in a string tie. Now, if he ain't one of the old-time settlers himself. And they know you're out for the night at the old folks' home? Hmm? Sir, I must tell you, I take offense at your insults. Oh, he takes offense at insults. And you got a cap pistol in that shoulder holster, too, I'll bet. Now, what are you doing in a place like this, Pop? I am out hunting for yellow dogs, and I think I found one. A snarling, yapping dog named Benton Sharp. You always make sure he's two-fifths of a second faster than any man he challenges. Well, well, Mr. Benton Sharp, I'm two-fifths of a second faster than the likes of you. I have a score to settle with you. Cowardly wife beater. What did you call me? You are not fit to associate with civilized people. But... I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, you either start walking out that door or else you go for your 44. Hey, get get out out of here. You shut up. The count of three, Pop. Walk or draw. One, two, three. Oh. Oh. You see that? What a lightning. You ain't got to do it. Now, now, you gentlemen, you gentlemen, listen. You will witness that I fired in self-defense. My name... Is Luke Standifer. Notify the sheriff that he wants me. I shall be at the Cattleman's Hotel. Uh, Amanda, come in, come in. Sit down. It's four o'clock exactly. 
Mr. Standifer, I heard about it. Everybody talking about what... Well, there was nothing else to be done. It was it was him or me. But you could have been killed. What were you doing down there? Well, I, I thought perhaps we could talk things out, but he's a man who likes to talk from the barrel of a gun. Well, let's, let's not talk about it anymore. I'll never forget you, Mr. Stanford. It's all over. Yes, it's all over. And it started so beautifully. If only... Yes? His mother... What about his mother? Cora Lee. Oh, Mr. Stanford, you didn't kill Benton Sharp. She did. What are you saying? I shouldn't say anything. It's wrong, I know, to speak about a person's mother like this, but why? Why couldn't she leave us alone? We could have been happy together. We were in love till she just drove him crazy. In so many ways, he was still a boy, tied tight to her apron strings. Just could have been so different. Well, you mustn't think about it anymore, Amanda. Amanda? It's so long since anyone said Amanda with love and friendship in their voice. The daughter of Amos Colvin will never be without friends in the state of Texas. Now, I understand from our records that your husband's policy was with the Security Life Insurance Company. They pay all losses within a week. But I spoke to him personally. As commissioner, you know. They said they'd do better. They have. Here. Here's a check for $5,000 right now. Oh, Mr. Standifer, I am so grateful. Well, it was it was a hard case, yours. A lot of red tape. History misfired. Statistics failed. But we come out real strong on insurance. Mr. Standiford, you saved my life. A terrible nightmare has just ended. You're Amos Colvin's daughter. Don't you ever forget it. And that's the story, Luke. Yeah, Billy. Well, that's the story. You took an awful chance. Oh, I had no choice. It's just that... Just what? Well, I feel bad. Well, that's to be expected. You killed a man. Well, I killed men before. I never felt this way. Uh, as long ago, times are different. Uh, I don't see how, Billy. Killing is killing. You lived in a violent age. There wasn't much law. Billy, you're the only one I could talk to about this. What's really on your mind, Luke? Don't know. Are you satisfied? Satisfied with what? The way it happened. Well, aren't you? No. Why? I can't understand why he didn't kill me. You outdrew him. <laughs> I wish I could be sure of that. Well, it's obvious, isn't it? You're alive. He's dead. Billy... When he said three, I went for my holster. Yes. And I tell you, it seemed like a full year till my hand closed on the butt, drew it clear, raised it, aimed it, fired it. Well, I can see where it would seem that way in your mind. Maybe. Maybe, but it seemed to me... What, Luke? That, that maybe he was letting me outdraw him. How can you say that? What was it really so? Did I did 
did I suddenly see something in his eyes? You mean you had time to look in his eyes? Oh, yes, yeah. It ain't more than a second and a half till you draw on fire, but it, it seems like an eternity. And sometimes when you look into the other fellow's eyes, you can see the whole world in there. What do you think you saw in Benton Sharps? I don't know. I, I don't know how to, how to describe it, but could have been... Oh, a look of pain. Pain? Yeah, yeah. Could have been. I don't know. Really? What's wrong with me? Well, like I said, you just killed a man. And you're no longer a ranger or a cowpuncher living on action and excitement. You're older. More settled. You lead a thoughtful, quiet life. But you shot and killed in self-defense. Well, that's true. But I provoked him into fighting me. I couldn't imagine what could be bothering Luke Standifer. When I went back to my hotel room that evening, I sat around and smoked a cigar. And suddenly, it started to bother me, too. The girl, Amanda Colvin, was she telling the truth? After all, could she have made up the story? Yeah, but why? Knowing Luke Standifer, she knew he would go gunning for Benton Sharp. The idea sounded crazy, far-fetched. Why was it bothering me? There was a way to find out. I decided to take the train for San Antonio the next morning. Yes. Uh, my, my name is Mr. Porter. So? Are you Mrs. Coralie Sharp, mother of the late Benton Sharp? I am. Well, I'm a journalist. And you want to write about my bandit outlaw son? Well... You won't do it. You and the rest of them. Leave them in peace. I assure you, madam... Don't tell me that. I know you reporters. You will do anything to make a sensation... I've seen the papers. Pack of lies, everything you read. Why are they lies? Why are they lies? Because they ain't true. Tell me the truth. Why? You won't write it. I can't write it if I don't know it. Come inside. I'll tell you this. Benton never had a chance. To do what? To straighten himself out. Oh, he was no angel, I admit that. But he wanted to change. Change to what? Just, just an ordinary person with a job, a, a wife, a home. Well, he could have done that. He was married. To who? <laughs> to her? She killed him. Well, according to the newspapers, oh, I she... know, I know. He was in a brawl in a saloon. Well, it's true, isn't it? But why was he in a saloon? Why did he have to get drunk? Why did he have to keep proving himself? Well, sometimes... On account of her... On account of that simpering little Miss High and Mighty, she ruined him. Are, are you saying he didn't beat her? Beat her? <laughs> he lived in mortal fear of the vixen. He never became drunk and mistreated her? He never so much as drank one drop of liquor in this house. Well, that's not what she said. Oh, I know all about what she says. The angel, the dear, sweet, put-upon, mistreated wife. Well, it's a lie. Why? Well, how can you say that? Everybody knows Benton was a bully and a killer. 
But does anyone know why? It's her fault. Well, if there's another side to the story, I'm here to learn it. Well, he come home one day and he said, Ma, I'm going to get married. Well, I never felt so happy. Because he was always wild, you know. I mean, no real harm in him, but, but wild. And a wife, well, it meant he was ready to settle down. So I asked him, do I know the girl? Well, you heard of her, Ma. Everybody has. It's Amanda Colvin. Amanda Colvin? Yes, she is the finest girl in the world. Benton, are you sure? Oh, sure. Well, she, I don't know, she always seems so, so distant, so high above everybody no, else. No, 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 she's not that way at all when you get to know her. Well, they say she's always pruning at that family tree of hers. Oh, she's the sweetest, loveliest girl, and you're going to be crazy about her, Ma. I was willing to give her the benefit of the doubt. After all, my boy loved her. That should have been enough. He brought her home to supper, and I just happened to be out. I, I was visiting a sick friend. I came back, and they were sitting in the parlor talking. I was about to say hello, but I overheard something. Your mother hates me. Oh, how can you say that, Amanda? I know. It's the look on her face. She's not giving you up to any other woman. Oh, but Ma loves you. How do you know? Now, man. Every time you spoke to your Ma about a girl, didn't she find fault? Oh, yes. And when you that... told her about us, didn't she find fault with me? Well, it don't make you... See? She does hate me. Oh, man. Well, it's her or me. You'll have to choose between us. That's an ultimatum that's often given to a young man who is about to choose a bride. But rarely is it delivered in such absolute terms. Usually it's hinted at or delicately stated or diplomatically presented. However, not here. On this show, we tell it the way it is. And just how is it? Wait for the third act. tell the players without a scorecard, and even that's of no help unless you understand the rules of the game they're playing. Oh, Henry is listening to a story being told to him by a very old friend, a veteran gunslinger, who is having some very serious doubts about the particular game he seems to be playing. Luke, uh, some girls do feel that way about their prospective mothers-in-law. I know. It's, it's not really what they say... It's what they mean. Amanda might have sensed a certain hostility. Some mothers feel very possessive toward their son. Yeah, I understand that, too. My only point is, Mrs. Sharp could have hated Amanda, and that might have occasioned some bad blood. Uh, maybe. Maybe, but I, I better not think about it anymore. I was trying to fit all the pieces together. What Luke had told me, and now what Corey Sharp, Benton's mother, was telling me. Maybe I'd see through the puzzle and arrive at the truth. In my mind, I'd listen to one, and then to the other. Oh, I admit Benton was wild, and he did ride with a pretty fast bunch. Maybe they did edge the law a bit. 
There might have been a little cattle rustling. Well, he did kill man. Yes. In self-defense. Deliberately. For no reason, in many cases. It was her fault. You keep saying that. He took a job in Anderson's general store. Pay wasn't much, but it was honest, decent work. Sanderson promised him a raise. He was content. He'd given up all his ne'er-do-well cronies, but, well... Yeah? She wasn't satisfied. How do you know? We all lived under this roof. It's a small house. You can't help overhearing. There's a dance over at the hotel tonight, Benton. Uh, we, we can't go. Why not? Well, I promised Mr. Sanderson I'd do the books. You mean you take Mr. Sanderson's books home and do them here at night? Well... Does he pay you extra? Well, it's part of the job. The job? What job? You call that a job? It's slavery. That's what it is. Amanda, Amanda, you don't understand. I only understand there's been no fun, no excitement, nothing at all since I married you, and no money either. Well, I never said I was rich. You always had plenty of money to spend. I know. Well, what happened to the money? Where did it go? It, uh, it didn't go anywhere. I, I just don't get to make that kind of money anymore. Why not? Why not? Because it's not the right way. Oh, the right way is to do without, go without, do nothing, be nobody. Is that it? Now, now Amanda, I have a good job. Oh, yes. Yeah, now, now, Ma says Mr. Sanderson's thinking of offering me a partnership. Your Ma, she wants her darling boy to work just down the street so he can come home for his lunch every day. Amanda. And she wants him stuck in a $10 a week position so he can't afford his own place and has to live with his mama even though he's a married that man. That is enough, Amanda. Benton Sharp, the fast gun, the fast rider, the fast lover. That's what they used to say about you. That's why I married you, for excitement. Why, you're nothing but a dry goods clerk. Nothing but a mama's boy dry goods clerk. <laughs> Don't you talk like that to me. Oh, my. Well, you're brave enough to hit your wife. Well, I guess that's the best you can do these days. That's how it'd go. Day and night. And finally, he started to do something he'd never done before. Drink. You mean he never drank before? Oh, a drink or two now and then. But he started drinking seriously. Staying out late in saloons. And that's when you get into trouble. There was a fellow named Denny. Well, Denny and Benton had ridden together many times. Well, they were in the saloon one night, and Denny started to make fun of Benton. Well, 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 look at who's here. Uh, hello, Denny. Hey, bartender. I thought this place don't lie, Reverend Clerk. Oh, cut it out, Denny. How you like clerking in the store? I said cut it out. Oh, you never had a chance. They used to say you was tied to your mama's apron strings, but now you got to wipe his apron in your last suit, too. Well, you come on now, cut it out. <laughs> you won't make me. Oh, I see you don't have a holster. Your mommy and wifey take away the gun. For the last time, Denny, cut it out. Hey, you don't like it. Maybe you better go home, huh? You got to get up early and clerk in the store. <laughs> going wearing that revolver. Mama, get out of my way. What is all the noise doing down here? You're his wife. Stop him. Stop him from what? You're the woman of the house. You stop him. This is no time for you and me to argue, Amanda. He is out to kill a man or get killed himself. You keep out of it, the both of you. No one can say what Dennis said to me tonight and live. What did he say? Does it matter? Yes, it matters. 
I was brought up in a house where honor was held above all. My father never took an insult in his life. I'll be back. No, wait. Ben! Couldn't... Can't you stop him? Stop him? Why? Maybe you don't want a man. But I do. Denny? Well, look who's back. The ribbon clerk. Yeah, Denny. The ribbon clerk. Now, the question is, are you going to draw? Draw? Draw what? A picture? <laughs> hey, you bring some crayons from the nursery? No, but I'll tell you what I did bring. Colt 44. Ooh, look, and he's wearing it in a holster. Is it loaded? It's loaded. Ain't you afraid it'll go off? It's set to go off in the next minute. I'll go on home, Ribbon Clerk. Go home or get carried home. That's the choice I offer you. Yeah? Yeah, you're wearing a gun. I'm wearing a gun. Reach any time you want. You're a move. Scared? Scared of a Ribbon Clerk? Why, you loudmouth, thieving sidewinder. I ain't scared of nothing. Or nobody. Then draw. <laughs> Everybody saw. Now, that was self-defense. That was the beginning. The whole town talked to nothing else except how he'd done it. Calm. Cool. He became a celebrity. And finally, old man Sanderson had to let him go. Besides, he was really drinking now. Well, was he uh, robbing also? Oh, he, he may have been in a couple of hold-ups. But he never really kept much of the money. He'd gamble it away in saloons or drink it up. How did you live? Well, Amanda took the job in Sanderson's for a while. I don't understand. What did she want? She wanted a man who was glamorous like her father. Well, Benton was glamorous in a way. Except Benton couldn't carry it off. You see that man, Denny? He was right. He was right. At heart, Benton really was a ribbon clerk. Nature gave him a keen eye and a quick hand, but he really couldn't live with it, and so he became more and more miserable. The sheriff was here today. Yeah. He wanted to ask you some questions. About what? The bank robbery. Well, I know about a bank robbery. They say 25000 is missing. That's so? What did you do with it? I don't know the first thing about it. I want my share. What are you talking about? There's another woman. You're giving the money to her. You're crazy. Where is the money? Oh, Amanda, please. Take your hands off me. Amanda. Don't touch me. Amanda, but I love you. Then give me the money. Amanda, let's go away from here. Huh? Where? Anywhere. Back east. Why? So we can start a new life. I'll get a job. And make what? $15 a week as a clerk? Well, I can't live that kind of life. I'm not used to it. Oh, why couldn't you be a man like my father? I thought you were a man like my father. He took what he wanted. He came in here and took this country. He killed for it. He killed Mexicans, Indians, anybody, everybody. He took by force. His name was Amos Colvin. He was no ribbon clerk. Oh, please, Amanda. All I want is you. You want me? You have to deserve I'll do anything. Then give me the money. But... Oh, what's the use? And that's how it went. You couldn't talk to him. 
She was like a disease that drove him wild. Made him into a crazy, ruthless killer. All day he boiled and stewed. At night he was ready to bust. He'd walk into a saloon and take out all his anger on anyone who just happened along for any reason, for no reason. And then suddenly, something seemed to come over her. We were sitting at the table. She was reading the paper. She sounded very thoughtful. Luke Standister. Who? Oh, uh, nothing. Who's Luke Standifer? Just an old ranger pal of my father's. He's been appointed to a big government job. It has something to do with insurance. There was something in the way she said that word. Insurance. At the time, I didn't know what she meant. Looking back on it. It's clear now. Oh, it's clear. That night she said to Benton, How much insurance do you have? Insurance? Why would I have insurance? Well, because you say you love me. Well, I do. Well, suppose something happens to you. What's to become of me? Uh, I never thought of that. Why don't you get yourself some insurance? I will. And in case anything ever happens to me, You'll be a rich widow. Well, I gave you all the facts. You heard from all the principles. Who's right and who's wrong? Did she deliberately set him up for murder? Well, old Luke Standifer, who seemed to have some original doubts, finally resolved them completely. I spoke to him just before I left for New York. What bothered me was... Because I, I couldn't believe I could outdraw a man half my age. But you know that look in his eye? Well, I'm convinced he suddenly turned yellow. He couldn't believe I'd challenge him unless I could beat him. Yeah, yeah. I'm satisfied the low-down, wife-beaten varmint got just what was coming. On the other hand, Mrs. Coralie Sharp. In that split second, Benton knew she had arranged it. She had set it up to kill it. And because he was so crazy in love with her, he just let himself be killed. Because that was what she wanted. What do I think? I don't know. They may be my characters, but they have souls of their own. I wish I knew. What do you think? Once again, we have a tale for all seasons and all reasons. But this is typical of O. Henry. He leaves it all there on the page and you can take it as you like it, which is the way all good storytellers do it. Shakespeare even used it as a title. I shall be back shortly. I know that most people insist on cold, hard answers. Answers that answer, not answers that pose further questions. Which one of them is right? Could it be both are? Consider, if Amanda saw him as a mama's boy, didn't she also demonstrate that she was a daddy's girl? The fact is, 
two people like that are hardly good candidates for a marriage, especially to each other. Our cast included Robert Dryden, Joe Silver, Terry Keene, Carol Titel, and Earl Hammond. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. And now, a preview of our next tale. I have 25 nice $1,000 bills. And I count them. And I put them back nicely. Yes, but haven't you thought of a bank? I mean, the bank would pay you interest. But the money... It would be shut up in the vault. The cold vault. Nobody would love it the way I do. Nobody would keep it warm. Now, madame, I like you. I do, I really do indeed. And it hurts me to see that your hard-earned money is doing nothing. What is money supposed to do? Work. Work as you do as... Well, work as I do. Madam Audley, do you trust me? Mm -hmm. Do you? Yes. Monsieur Gaspard, I trust you. Then let me invest that $25,000 for you. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by True Value Hardware Stores and Buick Motor Division. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. From January 14th, 1977, that was the CBS Radio Mystery Theater, a departmental case. We have reached that point in the evening where I begin releasing the key and return the room to you for your questions, comments, and concerns. Until my name next appears on the MSS calendar, have a good night, a great weekend and the sweetest of dreams.